Retraining is touted as the solution to jobs lost to automation. But is it really a viable alternative? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain. And this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. There's no question about the impact of automation on human jobs today. It's substantial. What we don't know is what to do with those workers who are made redundant or irrelevant because a machine proved to do their work better and cheaper than they ever could. Often we hear that the answer is retraining, but we give little thought to what that word entails and whether it's practical, sustainable, or even possible in all instances. Today, we'll take a deep look at retraining programs, especially for so-called knowledge workers, to get a sense of how they function and where they can be of value. My guest is Sean Chow, CEO and co-founder of Catalytic, provider of an AI-driven automation platform. He'll talk about how to set up a retraining program, what it should consist of, and where it makes the most sense. And we'll learn how humans can work closely with technology, even if that means undergoing a big change in the kind of work they do. So here is my conversation with Sean Chow. Sean Chow, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bob. Pleasure to be here. Sean, retraining has been offered as something of a cure-all for workers replaced by automation, but I want to talk about the reality of retraining and what it takes to make it really work. So first of all, what types of industries and what types of jobs will we be talking about today in our discussion about retraining? I think that the potential for automation can span across a much wider variety of industries and job types than what we might anticipate. Having said that, catalytic, we tend to focus a lot on knowledge work and the types of work that occur in a professional office environment. So most of my comments will be around those. One more definition thing, when we're talking about retraining, are we talking about retraining to support automation for the same job that the worker lost, or are we talking about retraining that worker in a different job entirely? I think a little bit of both can occur. The thing about retraining for a job that a worker, what what you called lost, I would really think of as the job itself is essentially changing. Mm -hmm. If you think about a physical analog, if you now have, let's say, a machine that's able to do important portions of your job, you still might be responsible for the same output, but you're going to now have a tool or a machine that's capable of producing more of the output or a higher quality output or some sort of different type of output. And I would say the same thing applies here. So if you're talking about retraining an employee for the job that they already have, it's less about them retraining, let's say, AI to replace them, which I think is a talk track that scares a lot of people, and more about retraining them so that they think about how they can do their job differently with now software helping them. Now, there are also the cases where I think people will be retraining into a totally different type of job, and that may be derivative from a job that they had before, or it might be because they were freed from whatever they were doing before, and there's some smaller portion of their old job that now that they have the time to spend a lot more time around it's actually very high value, and they want to expand that into a new, different job. 
And I think both mm-hmm. of those are actually going to happen, as well as retraining for totally different things that we're not anticipating. So what has been the record of retraining efforts to date? For all the talk of it over the years, how successful has it been up to now? I think we're still actually in pretty early stages of even impact. And so retraining at a wide scale or at a large scale is ultimately going to follow impact. So as more and more automation is rolled in, as more and more AI is rolled into organizations, you're going to see a lot more of these efforts. The earlier stages, what we're probably seeing is where people are really focused on retraining, not even retraining, but training or upskilling, sometimes people will say, or reskilling, but basically adding new capabilities to existing workers that allow them to take a lot of the tools that are available, which before may have only been available to developers in IT, but now putting them in the hands of the business users. So they're kind of getting trained for the first time on a new tool that they didn't have before. And I think we're more in that phase than we are in broad scale retraining of people or reskilling or upskilling of people. Yeah, so maybe if we're talking about knowledge workers, we're not really discussing situations where workers like on a line or in a warehouse doing very mundane tasks that are taken over by automation. And then at the other end, you have that company saying, well, I don't need those people anymore, but I need highly skilled people who have computer skills, who have analytical skills. And it seems like there's a huge gap between what those people on the line were doing and what the company says it now needs. That isn't, I guess, the case of what we're discussing here if it's in the knowledge worker area, correct? Yes. So think about knowledge work and what a lot of people do in a day-to-day office environment. When you think about the average cubicle dweller or the average knowledge worker, a lot of their time is spent on the computer equivalent of line work. Things like opening up an email or copy and pasting from one document to another or data entry of something that came in through email or just pure data extraction from a document. So a lot of these sorts of tasks are truly the equivalent of line work. And so when we think about office work, we're really thinking about how do we break that down? What is all the line equivalents and how do we actually automate that? Not using physical robots, but using software automation to eliminate those tasks. And so there's a tendency to really think about how do we get people to look at what they do today and see how much of it actually is low value so that they can actually focus on the things that are still really outside the realm of what most software can easily do today. But even though you're drawing a parallel to line work, you're saying it seems sounds to me like the gap between the old job and the new job is not so wide that that same person cannot be trained to do the new jobs or the supplementary job. Is that basically what you're saying? Yeah, because if you think about line work in a plant, you had people whose entire job was to literally sit in front of a manufacturing line, and maybe all they did was just that one repetitive motion. But if you think about most office workers, that's just a task of an overall job. And so their job usually spans a broader set of functions. So part of their job, and stats are something, depending on what you read, anywhere between a third to 50% of many people's job is basically these highly repetitive, mundane, low creative, no discretion type of activities that lends itself well to automation, but it's very seldom someone's entire job. So what ends up happening is a given person, a portion of their job, you can look at and say, we can automate this 
portion of the job, which then releases, creates some free time. And and I think there is a legitimate conversation that we should have about there will ultimately be fewer people needed to do the same activity. So what do you do with all the extra people? Are you getting rid of people? Are you going to create something else? Are you going to like retarget them towards something else? And I'll give a good example of where I think people are being very creative in a good way with that excess capacity. So if you have, let's say, a customer support function and they're spending a lot of their time today essentially listening to people on the phone or taking inbound emails and copying and pasting that data into some sort of internal service test type ticketing system or something like that. If you eliminate that activity, which is super low value added, what do you do with your customer service people? Do you get rid of them because suddenly you freed up this resource? Some companies might. That might be the right decisions for some companies given their financials. But I think a a more strategic view is you can really take advantage of that extra capacity to really target the thing that's going to move the needle for your company more so than just a little bit more in savings and really changing the customer experience. Can you take those same sort of people and now go over and above in your experience? Can you actually make them reach out proactively? Can you kind of empower them to do higher discretion things, more creative things? So you're changing their job function. Now, at the same time, the automation that you put in place to perform this function also needs some guidance and monitoring. And I think when you talk about training, when you talk about, well, certainly retraining people and talk about upskilling, some of it is some people actually should also be in charge of that activity that used to be done by people. And so some of those customer support reps might now all of a sudden become automation experts in charge Mm -hmm. of the AI or the automation that's performing that function. Okay. So... That being the case, how then do you go about even setting up a retraining program in terms of the resources that you devote to it, the nature and the shape of the program, the people that you invite into it? Just give me some parameters as to how you can get started. I definitely think it has to be cross-functional. So when you think about the inputs that need to go into a retraining program, certainly if you have an education function already, and for a lot of large companies, they do, and it's a function of their career pathing. So the right way to think about an education, a re-education program is career pathing. That's really what we're talking about here. We're, we're talking about helping people advance their career. But now they have a new path that wasn't available before. So whatever facility that they had in place to help with career pathing, how can you augment that? with people who are familiar with automation. So how do you add in people who are going to be able to teach the people how to actually automate, right? There's that technical component, which doesn't have to be developers, but it's just going to be a different kind of training. So that has to be available. And then the functions being impacted, as well as the managers, need to be able to provide input. But the inputs, the structure, and the composition of a program really needs to be people who know how to teach, people who know what's going to be taught, which is the automation technology itself, change management, which is always a really important component, as well as the functional expertise. So who are the people, going back to the customer service example, who are the customer service experts? 
Are you putting everything on hold for these workers, sending them off to some kind of a retraining course so that they can then come back with the knowledge of how to do these new jobs? Or is it somewhat akin to trying to work on the motor of a car while it's in motion? In other words, they're continuing to do jobs at the same time they're being retrained. So which is it? That is a great question. I'm actually really glad you asked because I think a lot of these things fail when people just assume that it will that that everything will be able to happen while the people have to continue doing their day jobs. That sort of change, the sort of change that we're talking about, actually does require some commitment to make happen. And what we found is you don't have to put everything on pause, but you do have to free up some capacity to do it. And whether that means you're bringing in outside resources initially to help you, and this is actually one of those cases where consultants actually make a lot of sense, or whether you're looking to start on a smaller scale and then kind of build up a seed from which you can take some of your free resources and then reapply them on a going forward basis. Like there's a lot of different ways in which you can create excess capacity, but you have to create excess capacity. And that does require an investment initially. When people think that they can do it without creating any sort of excess capacity, freeing any sort of people up, it almost always ends up failing because everyone's doing their day job and then this becomes a side gig and side gigs don't do well when they require a lot of change management. Technology is, of course, the reason for most of the need to retrain. At the same time, can technology be of help in the actual act of retraining? And if so, how? Absolutely. I think there's been a huge trend over the past few years where self-serve and this notion of technology that can kind of bring you up to speed along the way has been growing in popularity. And I think a lot of it actually began in the video game industry. When you think about video games, there was a time 20 years ago where if you bought a video game, you probably got a huge manual to come along with your video game. No video game sold today would be successful if it came with a huge manual. People buy a video game and they learn very complex games one step at a time. And the game teaches them as you're going along. The same with any piece of software, of course, right? Right, Mm -hmm. right. And so I think that is the right direction where people can kind of be gently brought in. We think of it as like progressive disclosure of information. Does everyone need to be a master of your software the day they come on? No, they just need to learn a few things at a time, right? They can become effective over time. And this is a good case where I think technology is already doing a reasonable job. But I think as AI becomes more common and as AI is applied to teaching, it can actually be more interactive and more responsive. So you may learn at a different rate or the things that the activities that you're taking may make me want to teach you different things than what some other person is doing. And this is a great case where I think the combination of an an existing trend gets refueled by applying AI to it to really come up with something truly special and, and very interesting. Interesting, I guess, that AI only reaches its own abilities by our teaching it, and then it turns around and teaches us. So I guess that's how how it it works. What's interesting is AI, the current state of AI is very derivative of what we put into it. And so that's also where you get into problems of systemic bias. But when, when you think about Training, AI plays a very interesting role because it can perform some of these lower discretion tasks 
at scale. So you can't probably effectively train, retrain 2,000 people without a large number of trainers, but you could with AI. Would you argue that it is more cost-effective for an organization to spend the time and resources on retraining these individuals with augmented knowledge or new jobs as opposed to simply going out into the market and hiring people who already have those skills? I think it depends on the business dynamics and whether or not subject matter knowledge is important to the company. When you look at a lot of the world that I spend a lot of time in, which is more B2B, that subject matter knowledge and understanding of industry and the way industries work is really important. So that's actually very hard to replace. And it's easier to retrain people with certain skills than it is to retrain people about all the nuances and subtleties of the industry. And that's largely a function of how easy the technology become. So with our company, Catalytic, we're really focused on making it incredibly easy to retrain people so that the technology learning curve is easily below getting people to get up to speed on the industry. Before, again, 20 years ago, if what people had to get retrained on is hard code or hardcore development, that would be hard because then that requires a very formal, very lengthy approach, followed by probably a lot of mistakes and apprenticeship type things. And in that case, it might actually be easier to bring in people who already are coders and then teach them about the industry. So a lot of this is dependent on how hard it is to get people and how important it is for people to have that sort of industry knowledge or the company knowledge versus how hard it is for them to get up to speed on whatever technology you're going to use. Well, it is a balance, isn't it? On one hand, as you say, you have the probably older workers who have institutional knowledge that you don't want to lose, and yet at the same time, younger up-and-coming generations are more savvy with automation and computers already. So there's a generational consideration there, but I guess it's, again, just a question of balance, right? It is, and I think most of these conversations, it's very easy and it's always fun to go very polar and to think about like, well, what would either extreme be? But the answer, and I think the reality of what will happen, is going to be something much more in between and very nuanced. There will be people who have a lot of industry awareness who just want to retire and they want to get out. So they don't even want or have any interest in retraining. And then there are a lot of younger people who might have the technology chops, but just don't care about the industry. Right. So there's going to be all sorts of weird things in between. And I think being flexible about how you approach it and then also having, uh, again, the capacity. If you don't free up the capacity, if you don't make the mechanics available, if you don't make the retraining available, if you don't pick the right technology so that you can lower that technology adoption curve part, then you're going to be limiting your choices. Right? You're going to end up with very bad outcomes. We can only imagine, finally, that automation and technology will continue to have even greater influence on organizations, continue to take over more responsibilities that were once done by humans. That being the case, do you believe that retraining efforts as they now exist can scale? I think the retraining efforts as they exist will have a problem in the short term because what we're seeing is uh, going to be a stair-step function of technology disruption. And if we just look backward a little bit, we can see what were also very clearly stair-step functions. And there's always this kind of breathless catch-up moment when people realize finally, fully, the 
magnitude of the impact of whatever that new steer step was. So if I think about mobile, that was a huge steer step function. And it took people who were still, in many cases, catching up to the mobile revolution or the internet itself and, and web technologies. Like that was a huge step function or personal computing. Right? Each one of these have been massive step function changes in technology. And when you get that sort of step function, there is a period where you cannot train people fast enough, cannot get people over the hump fast enough. And it creates some weird pains in the market and in employment. It creates a lot of opportunities. It also creates a lot of different types of jobs. And I think we're just about to enter another one of these big stair step functions. So I think we will be behind for a period of time, but that doesn't mean we can't start individually or as individual companies getting ahead of the curve of some of these things. And then we will also eventually get caught up, which is good news. Sean Chow of Catalytic, I want to thank you for bringing a lot of clarity and rationality to a subject that has a lot of people nervous, if not completely terrified of how they're going to manage in this new world of automation and technology. So thank you so much for being with us today. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. That was my conversation with Sean Chow of Catalytic, talking about retraining workers whose jobs are lost to automation. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. If you have any comments or suggestions on this or any episode, email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time. <laughs>